Welcome to This Never Happened, the podcast. Every episode, I, Tim Stevens, present to the board of what exists some flotsam of entertainment for the elimination from the timeline. Be it album, TV show, movie, or book, I will not hesitate to fight for a better pop culture landscape. I will not stop until the truly terrible and the awfully benign are referred to with the simple sentence, This Never Happened. Aiding and abetting my quest is the engineer, Skip Serpico, and of course, all of you. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the trial. time of the week already is it time for mr stevens weekly visit to the to the council oh you bet it is well 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 it seems like you've got a, a full brief underneath your arm so uh fill us in well i'm very excited about what i'm going to be presenting today it's entitled the long goodbye well, that that seems very very uh Mysterious. So, uh, so proceed. Excellent. The Long Goodbye is a episode of the television series known as The West Wing. In particular, this is the 13th episode of the fourth season. Now, for those who might not remember, the fourth season of The West Wing was a time of great upheaval behind the scenes. Aaron Sorkin was experiencing some issues regarding his productivity and his drug use. And it became important to take off some of the responsibility. So, for the first time, there were a few scripts produced that did not have his stamp of approval on them. The most obvious of these is The Long Goodbye. This CJ-centric episode of The West Wing sees her returning to her hometown to visit her ailing father, who is suffering from Alzheimer's or an Alzheimer's-type disease, and make a speech at her former high school. Along the way, she also interacts with a former flame who, in grand tradition of high school reunions, she ends up sleeping with. Now, there are a multitude of reasons that this episode doesn't work. And with the board's permission, I'd like to walk you guys through all of them right now. Well, um, I've got some time. Go ahead. Excellent, thank you. The first is that in changing locations from the West Wing to a location that's in Illinois but is supposed to represent Dayton, Ohio, the change has an unusual effect on the direction that you wouldn't expect. It becomes stultifying. Things begin to move as if walking through amber or molasses. Now, one AV Club reviewer referred to this as claiming that slowed the pace of the showdown to something more like regular television, and I'd argue to you today that it was slow, like terribly slow television. However, regardless of who's right, the viewers and the fans of West Wing watched for its hyper-pacing. To eliminate that is to kneecap your product. To make matters worse, it took the other favorite aspect of the show its ensemble-oriented storytelling, and tossed that out as well to focus on CJ. Now, CJ is a great character, 
but when you drop her into a situation that is cliched and features zero surprises, she, like anyone else, does not get to do her best. To make matters worse, the plot is also achingly obvious and saccharine. The dialogue is flat and dull, and where it takes place in the trajectory of season four, it's incredibly momentum-destroying. Also, the story itself doesn't seem to know when it's taking place. At points, it refers to itself as unfolding in early January, and at others, it claims it's in February. If the writers or the editors can't be bothered to know when this is taking place, it doesn't really show much confidence in their product, does it? However, the biggest reason this should be eliminated is, I think, for a lot of people, this was the first indication of what a post-Sorkin West Wing would look like, and that it wouldn't be worth watching. And for quite a while, a lot of people took their initial impression and disappeared following Sorkin's disappearance from the product in season four, at the end of season four. So, if we could eliminate this from the timeline, perhaps the West Wing could find its footing a lot quicker than it did after Sorkin's departure. Hmm, so, so you're saying that this was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back? That is my argument, yes. But, but couldn't this episode have been like a, a backdoor pilot for a CJ spinoff? I will never understand this board's desire for multiple spinoffs. Um, but I will concede that it does have that aura of backdoor pilot to it. The problem is that like most backdoor pilots, it is terribly executed. And thus... If CJ ever had a chance of being a spinoff, this effectively killed that possibility. So even if you do love spinoffs, this is an episode to eliminate. Well, you are the resident West Wing expert, so you know we've got no reason to, to not believe that this should be stricken from existence. Well, I think you've made the right choice. And the world appreciates what you've done today we're, we're glad to we're glad to be here um, we look forward to seeing you next week Good evening and welcome to the Archives. Today I have selected whatever happened to the Cape Crusader for your review. In 2009, twin storylines, Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis were merging to ensure the Dark Knight was going to end up six feet underground in a pine box somewhere behind Wayne Manor. To commemorate the quote-unquote end of Batman, DC turned to writer famous guy, Neil Gaiman, to write the final issues of Batman, number 686, 
and Detective, number 853, with Andy Kubert on art. Gaiman set the story during Batman's funeral, with several different characters taking the time to tell their version of how the detective died and what he meant to them, while an apparently unseen Bats looked on. In the end, Batman met his mother and was reborn as an infant. It's deep, deep stuff. It's also kind of, sort of, lousy. For one thing, it does that terrible idea where it builds up expectations far too high. The title is a reference to Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, a story written by Alan Moore that closes out the era of Superman that preceded the Crisis on Infinite Earths. It is widely considered one of the best Superman stories of all time. To compare yourself to that story, right off the top, just builds up expectations to an unreasonably high level. Secondly, unlike Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, this Batman story appears to be eulogizing an era of Batman that had long since died. In fact, it probably would have felt more in place had it occurred at the same time Man of Tomorrow did. It's also dedicated to an ending that was never really coming. The beauty of, once again to reference it, Man of Tomorrow was that it was coming at the end of a distinctive era of Superman. The Superman that existed in Crisis on Infinite Earths and the stories that preceded that would no longer exist after Crisis of Infinite Earths. It was a true ending. This, however, is an ending temporary. The universe doesn't get rebooted at this point. Batman only seems to die, having been launched backwards in time through a series of interesting scientific facts and omega beam oh, rather omega beams um, but the rest of the universe keeps on turning and when batman returns as he inevitably does he's the same old batman it's eulogizing an era that is in fact not ending also the storyline is about how when batman dies bruce wayne dies and vice versa essentially they're two intertwined one cannot exist without the other however the storyline that's running at that point, the storyline that's leading to these issues, written by Grant Morrison, the very point of that storyline is that Batman is forever. It opens with Batman and Robin shouting from a rooftop, Batman and Robin will never die. It's as if one hand didn't know what the other one was doing, to use that tired, tired cliche. Finally, and this is a personal peeve of the board, and one that I personally stand by as well, the story ends with a MOBA strip. That is, the end of the story is the beginning of the story, and it's a forever loop, on and on, forever and ever. I guess it's a neat idea, or was a neat idea the first time it was done. By this point, it's as cliched as, well, the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing thing. And it, in a story about the end, it's a cop-out. Either it's the end or it's not. If you're setting out to make it the end, then do it. If you're not, then don't call it the end, and so on and such of. As you can see, even this argument becomes circular like a mobile strip. We just don't like it here at the council. But that was a minor thing. In the end, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader was eliminated because it was inessential, because it didn't do what it claimed to do, and because its incredibly high expectations basically guaranteed that it would never meet them. So in the end, whatever happened to Cape Crusader 
Well, I don't know, because this never happened. I've been kissed by a rose on the grave. I've been kissed by a rose on the grave. And if I should kiss by a rose on the grave, I've been kissed by a rose on the grave. There is so much a man can tell me, so much he can say. Thanks again. Show notes with links to information pertinent to this podcast are available at timstevensisungage.com. That's T-I-M-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-I-S-U-N-G-A-J-J-E, all as one word, dot com. Please also feel free to leave comments on this or other episodes there, or to make suggestions about what other pieces of pop culture you think are unworthy of existence. If you prefer to offer your comments and suggestions by email, you can send those missives to thisneverhappenedpod at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, mention it to everyone you know. Suggest they listen. Suggest it strongly. Suggest it in a way that makes it clear that this is more than just a suggestion. <laughs>